Hello and thanks for joining us for another session of On Israel, the Almonical podcast brought to you from Tel Aviv. My name is Ben Kaspid and our program today is somewhat unusual. My guest is not and never was a politician. He is not a general or a senior defense official. He's not even a high-tech guru or a professor expert in the coronavirus. Like myself, my guest today is a fellow journalist and we have at least one other thing in common. We are both the only living biographers of an incumbent Israeli prime minister. We've both written detailed biographies of Benjamin Netanyahu, spoken to hundreds of sources, followed his career, and analyzed the behavior of one of the most intriguing politicians, some would say statesmen, of this era. Together, we will try to understand the man, predict his moves and legacy, and discuss how this man is weathering the stormy times that he faces on so many fronts all at the same time. The relentless corona epidemic, a deep economic crisis, unprecedented political chaos after three inconclusive elections and a possible fourth one ahead, and his corruption trial scheduled for January in Jerusalem. Despite decades in the public eye to quote Winston Churchill, Netanyahu remains a riddle wrapped in an enigma. As he embarks on the eighth decade of his life, Benjamin Netanyahu is a man under siege. Will this be his final stand? Or will he, all those people who have already written him off eat their heads yet again? Anshel Pfeffer was born in Manchester 47 years ago. He is a correspondent and columnist for Haaretz and the author of Bibi, The Turbulent Life and Times of Benjamin Netanyahu. His fascinating book was published in 2018 by the Hachette Group, just a few months after my own book, The Netanyahu Years, published by St. Martin's Press in the United States. Anshel will be here right after this short break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East, and if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, On Israel with Ben Caspit and On the Middle East with me. Andrew Parasoliti. Salam Anshel Pfeffer, author of Bibi, The Turbulent Life and Times of Benjamin Netanyahu. Thank you for joining me here in On Israel. I'll monitor the brand new podcast about Israel from Tel Aviv. And as I said before, I actually were the only, maybe the only two living biographers of uh, the Israeli prime minister right now, the, the incumbent prime minister. And let's, let's talk about him. 
Do you think, this is my first question, Angel, do you think uh, we're on the final leg of Netanyahu era? And I add a cautionary note to my question because, as you well know, many of us have described various points of his career as the end or the beginning of the end, only to have our predictions slap us straight in the face. What do you think, Angel? Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Ben. And yes, you know, too many uh, journalists like us have already retired and even departed to the next world after uh, predicting Netanyahu's uh, demise. So the cautionary note is, is in place. But actually something happened uh, a week and a half ago that made me think that Netanyahu is at the end, not just of his political career, but also the end of his historic role. And, and I'm talking about the agreement with the United Arab Emirates. And let's put for, aside for one moment all of Netanyahu's corruption, all of his lies and evasions, and all the many, many, many reasons why I think both of us agree that he shouldn't be Prime Minister of Israel anymore. Let's just talk about Netanyahu, the statesman, for a moment. And this is a man who has been a professional diplomat and statesman for 38 years now, since 1982. I think what he achieved in the agreement with the UAE, and put, once again, let's put aside all the bad things there, the fact that he didn't consult with his cabinet, with his defense minister and his foreign minister, and the fact that there must have been some kind of at least silent agreement for the UAE to get to advance weapons that effort 35. Let's just talk about statesmanship and about the vision. And I think that Netanyahu's vision, and you've read his book, a place among the nations, I, I know, more than once, and so have I. The vision that he set out there in 1993, and the, when he originally published his book, and the things that he's been saying throughout his career were encapsulated in this agreement with the UAE. But what, what do we have? We have a, an important Arab country, a small Arab country, but an influential one, basically making peace with Israel. We can say it's not peace because there wasn't really war with them, but establishing diplomatic relations and putting the Palestinian issue aside, it, the Palestinians don't really matter. Yes, they use this sort of excuse that there's going to be no annexation. You and I knew that there was never going to be any annexation. It was all a, 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 an empty election promise. And that is a big achievement for Netanyahu. He has proven to the world, the world has been saying for so many years, if Israel doesn't make peace with the Palestinians and end the occupation, Israel will be isolated. We both remember Ehud Barak saying uh, a diplomatic tsunami and Eric Sharon saying uh, Israel will be in the Corrales and so on. And Netanyahu said, no, Netanyahu has always been saying, no, if Israel will not make any compromise, we'll wait and uh, be tough. In the end, the Arab world will come around and say, okay, the Palestinians are not so important and we, you know, we have more interests together with it, more shared interests with Israel. And this is what happened a week and a half ago, and I think Netanyahu has done this. Even critics like yourself and me, uh, critics of Netanyahu, have to admit that this is a big achievement. And this is it. He's, he's ended his, uh, his historic uh, uh, role. No, the only problem is that he da I, don't, I don't believe he thinks like you, because you know, you know the guy, you know the, the, this leader, this so, so talented leader, he will never say to himself, okay, now I'm done, I'm satisfied, this is my legacy, and I can go home now. I think his situation right now, and, and I want you to, to, to tell me what do you think about it, is that he, he wants to go on forever. 
He's, I agree. No, I agree. I agree. So, so what, do you think, what do you think, Angel, he thinks about his legacy? If Netanyahu could write his, the first line on his Wikipedia, maybe 20 years from now, what do, do you think he will write there about himself? Well, 20 years from now, Netanyahu will, will, will be 90, and he, he wants it, the first line of Wikipedia to say, Prime Minister of Israel. <laughs> he doesn't intend... You, you and I both know that he has no... His father lived to the age of 102, so you know he's got good genes when it comes to uh, to long, longevity, and I think he he intends to stay prime minister even then. But I think history has a different way of treating leaders. And yes, you 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 are 100 right when you said at the beginning, so many people have predicted Netanyahu's departure. But I think history has its way of dealing with leaders, and Netanyahu has reached the peak of his historic achievements as a as a leader. Like I said, putting aside all the other bad things about him. And in, I think in the same way, we, we, history has shown with other great leaders. And he is, he is a great figure in Israeli history. We can't take that away from him as much as we may not always like to admit it. And I think that he's, he's finished his role. I think the right wing realized that. Certainly the settlers who are angry with the, the fact there's no annexation understand that. And I think also people like you and me who... Who, who, who are honest enough to say, yes, Netanyahu has achievements. I think we also understand that this is a point where he has outlived his, uh, his historic role. And what we're seeing now is, it, it may be a long twilight, but it's the twilight. Uh, you know, this is the, towards the end of, 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 his, uh, of his career. And if he, had, if, if he was capable, if he wasn't so filled with hubris and so filled with dismissiveness towards his political rivals and contemporaries, he would understand this is the best time for him to, uh, to take a step back. But he's, like you say, he's incapable of doing that. Do you think, and uh, this is a tricky question, do you think he, Netanyahu has, been, has changed during the years? If you compare the young Netanyahu, maybe the, the MIT Netanyahu, the, maybe the Sayeret Matkal Netanyahu, maybe the, the, the ambassador to the UN Netanyahu, to what we have now, a leader that his uh, uh, supporters look at him all, almost as they look at, at the Messiah. And so, so I want to ask you if personality-wise, the man is a different man than he was in his first steps after Yoni uh, was killed in Entebbe. I, I, think, I think the answer to that would be yes. I mean, you've been following him close up many more years than I have. But from my research, I would say his ideology and the way he, he sees the world has not changed at all since he was a young man. But his personality and the way he approaches leadership and the way he sees himself as being an inevitable leader and the, and the way he sees everybody else. I mean, Netanyahu is convinced that if tomorrow someone else is a prime minister, not necessarily a left-winger, even another Likudnik is prime minister, Israel will be on the brink of catastrophe or even Israel will cease to exist in, in, in a few years. He's convinced of that. And I don't think he felt that 20 years ago or 30 years ago. I mean, you, like I said, you, you, you were closer. I want to, to remind you, actually, a, a tape, a, an audio tape that was released by a Likud a supporter in, a, I think it was the year 2000. The name of the guy was Shimshon Deri, and Mrs. Netanyahu is screaming there. We will leave Israel, uh, to, uh, we will live abroad and Israel will, will be on fire. Let, let the yeah, city I mean, burn. 
I, I think Sarah thought that before, before Bibi. I think that part of the change to Netanyahu's personality is because of, his, of the way he, he's, he surrounded himself with a very, very small and very, very fanatical uh, circle of, of supporters, chief among them his wife, Sarah Netanyahu. And you know, we, a lot of us uh, spend time trying to understand this relationship. And I think Sarah is, you know, we always say she's a liability. She creates so much problems for him, but she is also the one who keeps him so focused on, on remaining in power. I think that with, with, with a different wife, probably with one of his previous two wives, uh, whether it would be uh, Mickey or or, uh, or Fleur, I think they would have, they were the kind of, of of wives who would have said to him, you know what, you've done enough, let's go and let's have a, let's have a second career, go and make money in business. You know, we don't need to have all these grubby deals of of champagne and suits and uh, and and corrupt things. You, know, you can make your money honestly, make a lot more money. You don't need this burden of of being the leader anymore. Uh, Sarah, I think, is the one who's keeping him constantly in the race. And I agree 100% with you. Uh, let's talk about the Israeli democracy. Many in Israel regard Netanyahu as a threat to democracy. They look with concern at his efforts to muzzle media, to undermine the keepers of the gate and the institutions of the rule of law, and comparing to guys like Erdogan, Putin, Berlusconi, among others. How do you see this? After all, Netanyahu grew up in the United States and his perception of democracy is well-grounded and stable. How do you explain what has been happening to him in the last two or three or five years since, by the way, the big victory of 2015 that I see as a, as a kind of a watershed between the, the, the cautious Netanyahu, the pragmatic Netanyahu, and the messiah, messianic Netanyahu of now? I think, I think that's very true. I think Netanyahu certainly uh, uh, emerged into politics with a much uh, higher respect for democracy. And I think that has eroded over the years. And, you know, you mentioned uh, leaders like Berlusconi. Berlusconi is the, the godfather of all the populist leaders today in the world. He's, he's the first of this wave of leaders. He came, he, he came onto the scene already in the, in the 1980, late 1980s, and he was the first of them to reach leadership. And I've written a lot in Aharetz about the comparisons between Netanyahu and these other leaders. Now, Erdogan is not a fair comparison. Netanyahu has not put hundreds of journalists in prison. That's not... Um, That's why you know, We're not there. <laughs> I don't think we'll get there. But uh, I, I, think, I think the most important thing is, is we have to look at, at what is good about Israeli democracy. And the, I think the three things which are strongest about Israeli democracy, and there are a lot of problems, you know, I work for Haaretz, we're very critical. I think Israel, the Israeli democracy ends at the green line and then Israel is no longer a democracy in the West Bank because we're, we're controlling millions of Palestinians without rights. But within the green line, the democracy is strong in, in three ways. First of all, the electoral system is strong. In the years, it has, it, it's changed governments. People respect the results, which is not a, not a normal thing in many parts of the world. People respect that when it says that every party got this and this share of the vote, people respect that, that result. So we have a strong electoral system. We have a strong judicial and law enforcement system. How many countries in the world have put a former prime minister and a former president on trial and sent them to prison without having a coup. That's not, that hasn't happened anywhere in the world. So Israel is very strong on uh, independence of, its, uh, of, of, 
of the courts and law enforcement and of holding leaders to, to account. And the third, and the third uh, uh, pillar, the strength of Israeli democracy, is the media. We have a media which is report. I mean, you've been so, for so many years doing it, and, and, and our colleagues, we have many colleagues who are still do very, very good work. And you don't go to prison in Israel for writing bad things about the prime minister. That's an important thing, and it's not... To be, to be taken for granted in this part of the world. And what we've seen in the last five years, and you, you were quite right in saying 2015 was a watershed, we've seen Netanyahu moving away from his previous democratic beliefs into a systematic attack on all three of these things. And the, the media has always been a, an obsession with him. His attack on the judiciary has, has gone into overdrive in recent years. And I think the, it, in between the first and second election, when Netanyahu began attacking the results of the of the of the of the first election in 1919, 2019, and saying that there was widespread fraud in Arab in the Arab areas, that I think was a very very dangerous moment because Netanyahu was then attacking the third pillar of Israeli democracy, the fairness of the election, and to me that was a, a really that was that was a red light when Netanyahu did that in the last few weeks of the campaign, I'm sure you remember. Yeah. And you know, I think what we're seeing is a similar process that what we saw with Viktor Orban in Hungary. Viktor Orban, when he came, into, when he came to, to politics uh, after the communist era, he was a liberal. He was, a, he was one of the leading young uh, uh, pioneers of Hungarian democracy. And then over the years, he developed this autocratic uh, tendency and he's basically, you know, he's basically demolished the free Hungarian media. He's passed laws which basically demolish the independence of the courts. And Netanyahu is going through a similar process. He's so far unsuccessful, we have to admit. The media is still, you know, we're, we're still having this conversation and Israeli media, for all the many people who are now working for Netanyahu, officially or unofficially Israeli media, is still strong and kicking. And we still have an attorney general who has pressed charges against Netanyahu. We would have wanted, perhaps, he should have perhaps done it sooner, and perhaps some of the cases which he hasn't pursued, like the submarines case or the shares case, well, he, hopefully he will still look into them more seriously. But these things are still happening, and Netanyahu is on his last battle against these three pillars, and so far they're standing. But uh, as we know, they, they, they're under threat. You know, even when he is not the underdog, but you know the superpower, the very popular eternal leader, Netanyahu feels that he is hunted, he is the underdog, he is always in an uphill battle. Do you agree with me that I think this is his nature and it will be never change? He's sure that everyone is chasing him. That the deep state, he took it, by, by the way, from, from Trump, the Israeli deep state decided somewhere or, or somehow to, to, uh, to kick him out of office? I think that uh, this is very much part of his personality. And I think this is something that he got from childhood. We know, you know, we, we both have researched his early years and we've both spoken to people who were in the family or knew the family going back, you know, to the 1950s when he when Netanyahu was a child, and he grew up in a home where the father was treated like some intellectual genius. Benzio Netanyahu was, a, was a, a decent historian. He wasn't one of the greatest Jewish historians of his era, but that's what the family was always saying, how wonderful he is, and 
only because of the Bolsheviks in the Hebrew University and the rest of Israeli academia. He was forced to go abroad and find his career abroad. The truth is that he was... The, the funny thing is, is that the man who was supposed to... The, the job that, that Ben Sionetaniel wanted at the Hebrew University to be the professor of Jewish Middle East Studies went to a professor who was even more right-wing than he was. In who was who was a, who was imprisoned by the Haganah in the Saison and was tortured and did not give away Benachem Begin's whereabouts. So he had an even bigger uh, right wing pedigree than than Benzin and Tenyaz. It was nothing to do with Bolsheviks, but this was the the atmosphere he was he was brought up in is that there is a deep state and the Bolsheviks are in charge and everything everything bad that happens to us is because of them, and that that has never left him. You're quite sure he's paranoid. Uh, and sometimes, paranoid with good reason, sometimes the media is out to get him. It's, it's, there have been times when the Israeli media have been unfair to Netanyahu as well. But I think he's long ago evened the score and, and gone on the offense in that, in that case. And you're right, he, he, it's, it's ingrained into him, this paranoia. We are, we are saying uh, uh, from time to time uh, something like Netanyahu cracked the Israeli genetics or something like this. And I want to ask you, how do you explain the fact that this elitist secular Netanyahu, the highly educated Ashkenazi American hedonist, is the Messiah incarnate for many less advantaged Israelis from lower levels of the, of the society? Did he found a secret uh, code to crack this uh, genetics or this Israeli phenomenon? I think it's an instinct. I think that some politicians have this ability to sense the fears, the phobia, the, the anger, the resentment within certain parts of, of, of the political, oh, sorry, of the public and use them for, for political gain. I think that Donald Trump, who is also the son of a rich man, Donald Trump is, you know, he's not, uh, uh, he never knew a day of, uh, of hardship in his life. He was a uh, man who, who inherited many millions from his father and wasted many millions. Uh, also manages to latch onto the fears of a certain blue-collar, white, disadvantaged part of, uh, of, of the American uh, electorate. I think Netanyahu has, has done the same thing. And, and you know, what he's done, you know, Netanyahu is very good at building coalitions. We see how loyal his coalition is to it. But when... You know, when you say, you know, when we write about politics and we use the word coalition builder, we usually we mean somebody who brings people together and makes people feel good about themselves and, you know, creates a happy group of people. Maybe it does the opposite. He builds a coalition of anger, a coalition of resentment. So you're right, there's nothing connecting Netanyahu with the resentments of a Mizrahi uh, uh, Israeli, with a Shasnik who's religious and Mizrahi and... And, and or with the Haredi Israeli, none of these things are in any way related to Netanyahu's life experiences. However, he is very, very, uh, you know, he, he, he's very, he's an expert at, at connecting to the feeling of resentment, connecting to the anger. And what is keeping Netanyahu's coalition together? Not, we need to set, form a coalition so we can do things, so we can make reforms so we can build big projects. No, what is keeping the coalition together is we have to stick together because if we don't stick together, they, the Bolsheviks, the elite, the deep state, the establishment, they will come and take power away from us. So it's a coalition of fear, it's a coalition of anger, and this is the kind of coalition that you know, 
expert at keeping together. So when he is acting like a religious Israeli and is, you know, saying every other sentence, Bezrat Hashem, and, yeah. and courting the Haredis in such a, a enthusiasm, and, and, and maybe the question is not only about this, but, you know, many of the analysts say, Yair Lapid is saying that Bibi is lying like, like when he's breathing. Do you think it's a lie? or he's just acting. I think he's the greatest actor. He's not an actor from, from Hollywood, but you know, he's a Shakespearean actor. He comes, he dives into the, the character that he's acting and believes with, with all his heart that he's, right now he is Haredi. Do you agree with me? I, I, I agree, I agree with you. And you know, you've interviewed more politicians than I have in my life, but, we, but we've both sat down with hundreds of politicians. And you know, most of the time, when you meet a politician, there is the politician on record when the cameras are rolling or when you're taking down notes. And that's when the politician is on message. He's saying the things that he wants to say. If he's a good professional, he'll be sticking to the message very, very well. But then when the cameras are, sh are, are, are shut off and when the, you, you've closed your notebook and you're just chatting with the politician, we both know usually the politician is very different to the message politician. And my experience of, of, of meeting Netanyahu and having conversations with him, and, and, and I'd like to hear what your experience is, is that Netanyahu on message, on record, and Netanyahu off record is the same person. You don't meet Netanyahu. I mean, sometimes he'll say to you something that he won't say on record, but he, the man, he, like you say, he's in the character. And when he's in the character, it doesn't matter whether he's on record or off record. He is convinced of the message now. And maybe in a few months or a few days even, he'll be on a different message. But then also, off record, he will have convinced himself. Netanyahu, when he says something, he's convinced of, He has convinced himself. Even if it's a 100% lie, he believes it's truth at the moment. And maybe tomorrow he'll believe something different. And, I'll tell you a story and, and, about and this. A short story is exactly about this. I think in his first, uh, first term in office in the 90s, between 96 and 99, he was prime minister and the Europeans were furious with him. And he was going to a formal visit in, the, in uh, Berlin. And maybe it was, uh, I think it was Berlin, to meet with the, with the Chancellor Kohl, the German Chancellor. And there was a lot of criticism in, the, in Germany before he came. And everyone here expected the, the Germans, you know, to kill him. With a very cold visit, but when he came into the, the, the meeting and came back with, with Councillor Kohl, they were hugging and looking at each other like they found the love of their life. Yossi Balin was in Tel Aviv watching it, did not believe what he sees, and he gave a call to the Israeli ambassador in Berlin, that was one of his Balin's gang, and asked him, listen, what happened between the pre-press uh, uh, conference that they were so furious with him, and then the the the, the love story that we saw, and the, and the, the ambassador told Yossi Bailey, "Listen, I was in the meeting. I, Netanyahu was talking. I closed my eyes and I heard you. It was Yossi Bailey <laughs> talking. And so th this is Netanyahu. He lets you see. You no, know, he's wonderful. Hear. He's wonderful at, at, at telling you what you want to hear." He's char he is a very charming, he can be very charming. He, you know, he, he talks to 
world leaders of the same level, and sometimes he talks to, to, to ordinary people at the same level when he is turning on the charm. You're right, he's a great actor, he's a great charmer. It's instinctive. It's also very interesting that the two people that the charm didn't work, who work, never worked on, were Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. But everybody else, he's charmed. And let's not forget, he charmed also his rivals. Every time people join him in coalition thinking, ah, this is the real Bibi is this guy that who charmed me. You know, going back to Shimon Peres even. Oh, oh you know what? Another person who, who didn't charm was Rabin. But most, most politicians like being flattered and he knows how to flatter politicians when he, when he wants to. So yes. from Peres, every time when we ask ourselves, will he find another rival that will believe him? Yes, he finds another one. Every, the last one, Benny Gantz, that believe there is going to be a rotation in office. But, okay, my final question uh, for you, uh, Angel Pfeffer, is uh, what would you write if you could, if you could write uh, 20 years from now the Wikipedia uh, uh, about Netanyahu? What will be the first two sentences? And uh, what is, in your opinion, his most impressive a phenomena in his character is, I think he's the most skilled politician that ever led Israel with all the criticism. If we check the person himself, how talented he is, uh, I think he's the number one, but, but what do you think? I think that we'll be looking, in 20 or more years from now, when we'll be looking at Netanyahu from a historical perspective, we will say he was the, the, the most important leader of Israel and of Zionism in its nationalist period. Because if we look at, you know, Zionism now has existed for 120 years. We had the first period, which was before the state of diplomacy and so on. There, that was a big people like Herzl and Jabotinsky who, were, who had big ideas. They were the important people there. You know, the ideologues, the diplomats, but high Weizmann. Then we had the second period when, you know, Israel was established and built, and no question, David Ben-Gurion is the most important leader. He's he is the important leader of the establishment and of the building. But now we have the third stage when Israel is, is nobody's, besides Netanyahu perhaps, nobody really is saying seriously that Israel is in danger. We're, we're at, the nation stage, at the nation stage. And he is the most important leader of Israel in this period. Now, I hope that Israel will go to a new period when Israel will be more comfortable in the region and will be able to make uh, peace also with its neighbors and with the Palestinians. But in this stage of Israel's uh, creation, in Israel's existence, the post-1967 Six-Day War, and certainly post-1977 when Likud came to power, the nation state, you know, the, the, this, the, this nation stage, there's no question, he's the most significant leader. And, you know, we said before, he understands, he had this instinct for understanding the different parts of Israel. And yes, he uses it to divide and rule, but he understands Israel. He understands modern Israel better than any, than the new I do, even, I think. Asher Pfeffer, this was fascinating. I thank you very much for this uh, conversation. And we will we, be we should, do, we should do it more often. Yes. Uh, maybe when uh, Netanyahu era will be finally over, if we still If we're still, if we're still around. Exactly. <laughs> thank you very much. And we'll be back to sum up uh, after a short break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. 
Our Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. Our Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at almonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon Almonitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our Almonitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, On Israel with Ben Caspit, and On the Middle East with me. Andrew Parasoliti. The conclusions of uh, this biographers' summit are pretty clear. We are in the twilight zone of Benjamin Netanyahu's era. This very talented but also hedonistic and controversial leader is a lot closer to the end of his career than to its beginning. Hope you enjoyed it. Meet you here in On Israel in Al Monitor next Monday. Thank you very much. Stay safe. Take care.